This is a HeadGum Podcast. Websites, huh? I've heard think, about What do you think about these things? I've got opinions, but not a lot of know-how. As well, if that describes you as it describes Craig, you'll be thrilled to learn that once again, our sponsor this week is Squarespace, a website that helps you make websites. They will help you claim a domain, sell stuff online, market your brand, and they give you analytics that you can use to gain powerful insights about your site visitors and how they interact with your content. I love insights. I love insights as well. They give you award-winning design, world-class engineering, beautiful templates. And when you create a website with Squarespace, you get 24-7 award-winning customer support and nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Whoop, whoop. We use Squarespace. It's pretty good. It's good service. Yes. Our website just kind of works, which is handy. It does the things we need it to do, and I don't need to learn more (laughs) to make that happen because Squarespace (laughs) has me covered. If you want to make a website and you don't want to have to learn anything, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue for your free trial. Use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Craig, we just Craig and I just attended our first like in-person friend party in several years. I'm still reeling from the experience. And yeah, it's tough, but my body don't do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> my body don't work this way no more. I feel like it's three in the morning. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not. No, it's eleven o'clock. But it it feels but it feels a lot later than it is because it's yeah i'm just old just old old and decrepit and my bones are turning into dust but But i can still podcast (laughs) my mouth still works (laughs) thankfully we still have this podcast to make it's a podcast where we read books and we tell you about them and they're usually books that we haven't read before this virtually week. always books that we haven't read before. <laughs> every once, I just say that because every once in a while we break the, the cardinal rule, and like I don't want people to get mad at us. Mm, sure. No, I think they probably get mad at us for other stuff. Yeah, but yeah. This up. this kind of party, this kind of book talking party, that's more my speed. Sure. Yeah, we yeah. can sidle into this book talking party. It very I, rarely makes my tummy hurt to do this podcast. Mm-hmm. I read a book called "If on a Winter's Night a Traveler." By Italo Calvino. Italo Calvino? I was going to go with Italo. But Italo Calvino. Right, Italo. Because he's named after Italy. Because his parents were from Italy. And he's raised in Italy. Huh. And I, we could talk more about that. But Great. <laughs> I just thought it was because... So he was he was born in 1923. In to, Cuba, uh, right? Yeah, to Italian immigrants in Cuba. Mm. And he was named Italo... Uh, to remind him of his Italian heritage. And then when he's like two years old, his family moved back to Italy and they just stayed there. <laughs> and so he came to view his name. He, th- he thought his name seemed, quote, belligerently nationalist. Oh, no. <laughs> because he was actually living in Italy as a guy named Italo. But uh, yeah, there you go. Shout out to all the kids in the States named Amerigo after Vespucci. I mean, America Ferreira's out there. She seems to be doing all right. She does seem like she's handling that name well, actually. Mm -hmm. Good Mm -hmm. point. Good point. Mm -hmm. Thanks. This book was recommended to us by one of our illustrious Patreon supporters. Thank you, Foam? Foam. uh, Who said, heck yeah, brothers, I'm here to recommend... (laughs) I don't know why. Maybe Foam is uh, Jesse the Body Ventura. Heck yeah, brothers. I'm here to recommend some Calvino, specifically if on a winter's night a traveler. It's okay mm-hmm. if it takes a while to move up the list. Thanks for your consistent quality. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks, brother. 
I Glad never know here. which one of these Patreon messages is just going to break me. That was one of them. That was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you, you, we'll talk about the book. It's, we're going to talk a little bit more about Mr. Calvino. Please. Uh, you had a complicated reaction to the book, is my uh, what I've gathered from our chats about it leading am, up to this recording. Mo- most of that, most of my complicated reaction is the anxiety of trying to bring this book to the podcast. Yeah, that's fair. I've had I and mean, we've all had that feeling one time or another. Yeah, it's it's the I I like had a pretty good time reading it. I kind of like what it's doing. I feel a little unequipped to discuss what it's doing in the context of literature writ large. Yeah, sometimes we read a book that's too smart for uh, our dumb brains. Well, and and this is a book about reading. It's a book about loving books. And so it's in conversation with the history of people liking books, I guess, particularly Mm -hmm. like, you know, the last two or three centuries of it. Mm -hmm. And... I, it that always makes me a little nervous. Like I can't just I don't feel like I can well, just we walk like, up to the mic and goof yeah. on it. You we know? like books, but we are not like literature professors. No, we don't pretend to be. Um and this is a book that I don't think you need to be a literature professor to enjoy, but I bet there are some literature professors who are going to have a lot more to say about it than who, I will. Who, who would get more out of it? And sometimes I felt that way when we were reading like uh Divine Comedy and, and some other sure, stuff. Just like sure. things, that are, things that are being more freewheeling and expansive with their illusions. A, yeah. The a, illusions with an A and not with <laughs> an I. Their illusions. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Like we, <laughs> I mean, I, I think a thing should be able to stand on its own, of course. But when something is more in conversation with the rest of literature, yeah, it gets harder to talk about it without sounding like an idiot <laughs> i'm gonna do my best not to sound like an idiot um can you help me out first I mean, by telling I'll me try. a little bit <laughs> telling me a little bit about italo calvino yeah sure like i mentioned earlier he was born in 1923 died in 1985 uh, he's an italian writer of short stories uh, novels and journalism uh, his works include the Our Ancestors trilogy, which I would loosely describe as fantasy novels based on what I read <laughs> about them, but that seems to undersell them a little bit. Okay. Um, but yeah, his his career, he had this this transition that happened. Like he was a you know, he he had some success with his early works. Uh he had served in World War II in various capacities like in the italian resistance right yeah yeah Yeah. i'll get in i'll get into that a little bit too but like he he wrote novels that were sort of anchored in his war experience and the the early ones were sort of well received but then he had some in like the late 40s and early 50s that were less well received and as he was working on those books those uh, more realist books uh he discovered that you know the the books they really wanted to be writing were more fantastic, okay, and were more based in in fantasy because those were the kinds of stories that he loved when he was a little boy, and yeah. So as as he's getting as, as he's getting into this transition to a to a more uh, fantastic sort of literature, he also assembled this collection of like two hundred Italian folk tales in nineteen fifty six because somebody like commissioned it because they they didn't know who the Italian like brothers Grimm were. I, I, so. I saw a note about that in a New Yorker article. This guy, Ianaudi had like, was an influential publisher and hired him to do this. Um, and like, that's one of those people talk about fairy tales is like this, like you're getting down to the atomic level of storytelling Mm-hmm. In terms of the types of characters, the types of relationships. Yeah, the, you're going you're going back to where all the tropes sort of come yeah, from when you go yeah, back to yeah. this stuff. Um, so yeah, in, in terms of his his personal life, like he came from a family of scientists. So his his mom and dad were botanists. His dad, in particular, was very involved in like agriculture. And then his brother Floriano was a geologist. And so he, you know, he went to school for a while uh, f- for agriculture to like follow in his family's footsteps, but felt like sort of the odd person out in his family because he was much more interested in like literature and cartoons and, and like the arts <laughs> than he was in science. Um, 
His parents also uh, hated Italy's fascist government. Sure. And uh, he later became an anti-fascist and communist himself. Uh, he uh, refused to serve in the Italian and German military and went into hiding. This is in like late in the war when Mussolini has like this puppet government in northern Italy that like Nazi Germany nominally controls. Okay, and so Calvino's like, nope, not gonna, not gonna do this. And he joins the Italian resistance in 1944. Um. And yeah, he 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 does that until the end of the war. He is a pretty committed member of the Communist Party for a while after that, but then you know later becomes disillusioned with elements of that movement um, after the Soviet Union under Stalin invaded Hungary in 1956. Like he he was still like committed to the idea of communism, but as it was being practiced in the, in the world, he could not be behind it. Sure. And is <laughs> that what kind of precipitated his, his emigration to America? Is that what I saw? Something like that. I don't know that. Did he emigrate to America? I he spent some time he, in the he States. Visited, he visited America. Oh, he liked okay. New York. And okay. like, even though, even though he was a, he had been a communist, he was, he did visit America for a while. Okay. Sure. Okay. Um, it was yeah, not an emigration so, then. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he and his wife like settled in, in Rome, I think. Mm. And were just, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, af- after that happened, after Hungary was invaded, he became like less involved in politics and never like registered with another party again. You know, addressed the issue in some of his books, but it was more about like how do you deal with like politics when all your illusions have been shattered? Like that's sure, kind of that he's doing after that happens. Huh. So that's like that's the the short version of his life. Um, this specific book, "If One a Winter's Night a Traveler," was published in 1979, uh, translated into English by William Weaver. Originally, is that who? The, that is the, the edition that I read. Yeah, yes. and the only thing I really have about like its influences or where the book came from is just that Calvino cited uh, Nabokov as a as a big sure. Influence. Yeah, that that tra- there's a lot of. Um, I'm probably reducing Nabokov's. I'm being reductive on Nabokov here. There's mm-hmm. a lot I mean, of <laughs> men interested in women in this book, hmm. in a way that seems to be of interest to the guy who wrote Lolita. You know, just putting that out there. Okay, I guess. And, and I, I'm I don't, not I, sure I, if you're grabbing on the exact thing that he was talking about when he says that he was influenced by. No, Nabokov, he's actually but. probably talking about some of the stuff related to Pale Fire. I also know that he. Uh, a lot of people cite uh, Borges as both maybe not an influence, but like if you're reading books like Calvino's and you like them, then you're probably reading some Nabokov and, and Borges as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not a lot on William Weaver, by the no, way. Like fine. I know we sometimes like to talk about translators. Uh, he was he was born in 1923, died in 2013, and yeah, translated a lot of. Italian literature into English and that was basically his deal like he was a professor this is one of the things that he did cool and he was pretty you know fairly prolific this is pretty this book is pretty late in Calvino's career from what I recall Um, yeah 1979 is six years before yeah he died and he was also he was an editor of books as well in addition to being an author which I know is like there's a character in this book who is this like overworked uh, editor who has to deal with writers all the time and never gets to talk to somebody who just reads books for reading's sake. Mm -hmm. Uh, And from one or two articles, I found that maybe there's a little bit of like, hey, that's me in the book from Calvino, Uh, Mm -hmm. which is a weird thing to say considering the perspectives of this book, which we'll talk about soon. Yeah, we gonna take a break, or you have more to say? Or no, let's good? just take a break, and okay, then I'll let's take tell you break. what I have to say. Wonderful. Andrew, it's a time of year. It sure is. A lot of feelings, mm-hmm. a lot of anxieties, a lot of, I don't know, the years come to close. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it seems like a time where you might, you know, need somebody to talk to about stuff. Uh, so I will just share with our listeners that Overdue is brought to you this week in part by our sponsor, BetterHelp. 
which makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can send a message to your counselor at any time, and you can schedule and join weekly video or phone sessions that fit your schedule. The service is available for clients worldwide as well. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Andrew, we've got another sponsor. Did you know? Yeah, I knew. I saw it on the sheet here. Do you know who it is? Yeah, it's Letterjoy. Tell me about them. Letterjoy. They mail one interesting historic letter to your mailbox each week, and the letters come via snail mail on cool stationery or parchment, and they've got a real stamp. And, Andrew, they come with the postscript. Do you remember what the postscript is? It's a little stamp. No. Like the little ink stamp over the stamp. That's a postmark. What's a postscript? (laughs) The postscript is where Letterjoy's expert curators give you the background on the letter that they're sending you. Because they're sending you letters from like cool different themes, like letters from the history of the American Railroad, or mm-hmm. like Wild West Outlaws, or other stuff that you want to learn about, and letters that come from that time period. So they're going to give you context, so that you can learn about where the letter comes from. We love context on this show. We love context on this show. And uh, here's a little context for you. This is a great holiday gift. Uh, for bookworms or history buffs in your family, it's like a weekly surprise that will make them have interesting stuff to talk about. Oh, give them interesting stuff to talk about. They will not make them talk about it, but think <laughs> you, about you that. You can talk about it or not. Like that part's <laughs> up to you. Uh, and I'm I'm like reading this copy right now and thinking of people in my life who would get a kick out of this, and I bet people who are listening are, are thinking the same. So start gifting letters with Letterjoy now by going to letterjoy.co, that is letterjoy.co, and sign up for weekly historic letters. There's a special limited time offer for overdue listeners. Use the promo code OVERDUE at checkout to get $5 off your first order. That's letterjoy.co or letterjoy.co, offer code OVERDUE. You'd look concerned or like you're, 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 I see the smoke coming out of your ears. You look like you're thinking too hard. I'm not sure where to start. How about the, okay, we start at the beginning or (laughs) you told me that the book had like one big thing that it did and then a bunch of little things. We talk about the big thing. Yeah. And then shoot out to little things after that. I'm going to read the first few lines of this book to you, Andrew. And then you just give me your honest reaction. Okay. You are about to begin reading Italo Calvino's new novel, If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Relax. Concentrate. Dispel every every other thought. Let the world around you fade. Best to close the door. The TV is always on in the next room. Tell the others right away, no, I don't want to watch TV. Raise your voice. They won't hear you otherwise. I'm reading. I don't want to be disturbed. Maybe they haven't heard you with all that racket. Speak louder. I'm beginning to read Italo Calvino's new novel. Or if you prefer, don't say anything. Just hope they'll leave you alone. I mean, I love it when a book bosses me around. <laughs> you, I, I am struck by the use of the, the second person. Heck I'm yeah. wondering if this is an introduction or if it's actually part of the book or if that is a useful distinction. So the book is about, uh, I believe it is 22 chapters and every odd numbered chapter or so until I think close to the very end. um, It is addressed to you, the reader in the second person. Uh Uh-huh. And you are the person reading the book, right? That's that's usually who is reading the book when I'm reading a book. So it is not a choose-your-own-adventure novel. You don't make choices in this book other than whether or not to continue reading it. But yeah, I mean, every book is kind of a yeah. like a linear choose-your-own-adventure book with just one ending. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, yeah, I mean, you could like, uh, you could choose to skip ahead 50 pages anytime mm. you read a book but mm-hmm. 
Um, so in this opening section, the author is telling you that you aren't expecting greatness from this book. You're just a little jaded, and you're mostly just expecting to avoid the worst. Um, That's an interesting way to set expectations uh-huh. as an, if you're an author. <laughs> he says that you found this one in a bookstore, and he goes on to categorize all the types of books that you might find in a bookstore with, like, I don't know. For me, the reference is like David Foster Wallace style, like capitalized things. But that's not just a Wallace thing. That's all over the Internet now. And lots of authors do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just going to read you a few so that you feel nice and attacked. Uh, The books, the books you've been planning to read for ages, the books you've been hunting for for years without success, the books dealing with something you're working on at the moment. The books you want to own so they'll be handled handy just in case. The books you could put aside maybe to read this summer. The books you need to go with other books on your shelves. The books that fill you with sudden inexplicable curiosity, not easily justified. Uh, he also talks about when you're interested in a book by an author that you know, and you seek out books by authors you know because you both like want a thing that's comfortable, but you also want a thing that's new. Mm-hmm. He the the exact wording here is for the new you seek in the not new and for the not new you seek in the new. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, he starts out by basically inventing our podcast. Yes. Yeah. Not helpful. No. But still. because now I got it, we need to maybe check with the estate of Italo Calvino <laughs> and see if this thing that we've been doing is is kosher. So he spends this first chapter like not quite defining you. He's very reticent to do so, but he is putting you in a little box that says you are someone who likes to read books, and he's telling you about what's happening to you, which is you are about to start this book by Italo Calvino, and you're really excited about it. And then chapter two begins, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a story about a guy at a train station doing like secretive dead drop business like he has to exchange a suitcase with someone Mm -hmm. he does like meet some people at a bar he chats up a woman and then some guy comes up to him and and is like listen they killed a guy you got to get out of here get on a train and get out of here and uh as soon as the narrator does the chapter is over and you turn the next page and the narrator of the first chapter, who I presume is Italo Calvino, I don't know anymore, mm-hmm. tells you that the book you were reading got to page 32, and then it just kept repeating the same pages over and over again. And so you can't read any more of that book, even though it sounded cool. It's go- The book is... Something was wrong with the printing. Um so is and then does another book start in the next chapter? Is it just like a bunch of stop start book things? This, or are they doing like a House of Leaves? Like what is reality sort of situation? Or what's the deal? With answer this? E, all of the above. Oh boy, uh, oh boy. this book's one weird trick is that uh, every other chapter you read the first chapter of a different novel. Okay. Um. And in between those chapters, you, the reader, uh, who is probably a early middle-aged white guy, um, and, quote, the other reader, which is a woman named, oh gosh, it's not Jamila, it's Ludmilla, excuse mm-hmm. me. Okay. Um she is named as the other reader. And the two of you, uh, through fits and starts, are kind of go on this quest to figure out why all the books in the world are messed up and why every <laughs> time you find a book you like, you read the first chapter of it and like something conspires to keep you from reading the rest. Some of it is that the printings are messed up. As the book goes on, as the book that I, Craig, read goes on... Uh-huh. Uh, Sometimes it is that like the people in the room don't know the rest of the book that they were letting you that they were like telling you about. Sometimes it's that they they only assigned the first chapter of this book for the 
university class that you're sitting in on. Sometimes a guy is handing you a draft of a novel and the wind takes the rest of it away so you don't get to read the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every every time that there is a new novel that you are reading, almost always it gets to some sort of, not quite cliffhanger, but some sort of like interesting plot turn or conceit of like, oh, I could see getting on this book's wavelength and I'm excited to keep going. And Calvino says, no, you're not allowed. Okay. Uh, it's it's a strange thing overall. It's a strange one weird trick for the book to be doing because I think <laughs> at, a, at a macro level, it's a cool idea. And then in practice, I think I liked smaller stuff more. Okay. I don't know. I I don't know if you can think of another. I can't think of another book that has like a structural thing that's like that's a cool structure, but I don't know about the rest of it. Um, yeah, like you enjoy the conceit of the book more than you are enjoying the like narrative content of the of the. Thing. A little, a little bit. Um, I did find a Guardian review or like Guardian. It was in the Guardian. It was a revisiting of this book, maybe from two thousand four, by the guy David Mitchell, who wrote uh, Cloud Atlas, which I read for this show. Okay, fourteen years ago. I don't remember. Uh-huh. Um, and as I recall, that book is structured so that there's like, and it, uh, the Wachowskis made it into a movie. Um, I've got big Matrix brain right now, but. Yeah, you're um, just waiting on that matrix. Oh my to God, I'm so hyped. Ten uh, days, bud. the The Cloud Atlas starts. It's like seven or eight chapter, seven or eight like stories that change every time you go through, and then they start to. You get to the middle of the book, and one story resolves, and then you start resolving all of the other stories that you had been introduced to in reverse order. And this book. If on a winter's traveler is like, what if you just did the first half of Cloud Atlas? Um, and Mitchell wrote this review of it where he's like, listen, it kind of becomes harder to invest in these beginnings as the book goes on because you understand what the book is doing. It's giving you only beginnings. You know, you'll never get more of any of them. And so, like midway through my read i was less interested in the like meta fictional hey isn't it cool that this book only has a bunch of starts in it and never ends and i was like please tell me more about this version of myself that's reading the book that's going on an adventure to south america please like that's Uh that was what was getting me through the back half of the book sure yeah i mean i i I I can't you're right that I can't I can't name off the top of my head like another book where I've been like into the structure but like less into the story because I feel like whenever I encounter a book that is trying to do like a structural gimmick and I don't think that the story is paying off I think my impulse just like knowing myself as I do would mm. be to get annoyed that the structure was not paying off more like more convincingly, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, what this guy's doing is like, and this was something I kind of into, I could feel was happening. And in prepping for the recording, I got a little bit more out of it, even though it wasn't all, I wasn't grokking all of it while I was reading. Is that like each of the fictional books that you're reading has like a thematic hook? that is most of the time has a thematic hook that is related to the other, to like the, the through, the through line story. Mm -hmm. Um, I can try to give you an example. So like you, once you thought every time I say this, it sounds wild that I'm saying it in this voice, but it's literally how the book works. Once you read the first chapter and it ends and you're like, what the hell? I thought there was more of this cool, like, you know, spy story to read. Um, you take it back to the bookstore, and the guy's like, yeah, we got a bunch of complaints. It got mixed up with this other story called Outside the Town of Malbork. Um, is a <laughs> Polish book. Uh, and, yeah, I told that lady over there, 
who's also here in the store with us right now, and she had the similar complaint. And I can give you outside the town of Malbork if that's what you think you want to read. Um, and so you chat up this other woman, and that is uh, Ludmilla, and she loves books probably more than you do. Um, and there's like a little the the thing that then happens is you start reading outside the town of Malbork in the next chapter and you're like, okay, this is a story about a small village with lots of people in a house. And the main narrative beat is that some guy is taking the family's son away to be his apprentice and leaving his son there instead. And there's this son swap plot happening that's uh, my favorite reality show <laughs> i know and it, it does Sun swap it does seem to be related to like these books taking each other's place because like one of the things you don't know is like did i actually like if on a winter's night a traveler or was that a busted edition and what i actually like is outside the town of malbork uh-huh or do i actually like the next book that I'm going to read Leaning from the Steep Slope, which is this other book that might be written in the dead language that I thought outside the town of Malbork was written in. Andrew, how you doing? Because my brain is fried. I guess, like, just did you like any of the stories in particular? Or did it, mm. did it just kind of, as the book went on and it became clear that you were just going to get a bunch of beginnings and it was getting harder to get invested, like, did they just start to kind of wash over you and you were reading to finish the book for the book podcast that we do, but you weren't enjoying them on like a narrative level as much anymore. Okay. I'm scrolling through my notes to try and find the one or two that I like really did enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, I did actually like leaning from the steep slope. Um, So the context of that is in the frame narrative um, you, the reader, you've hooked up with Ludmilla. She gave you her phone number, but when you called, you actually talked to her sister, Lotaria. And then Ludmilla got on the phone and was like, yeah, these books are all messed up. Let's go to the university and talk to Professor Utsi Tutsi, and he's going to tell us about these books. And you talk to Utsi Tutsi, and he's like, oh, yeah, the outside from a town of Malbork, that sounds like this other book I know, Leaning from the Steep Slope. And Leaning from the Steep Slope is this interesting, like, the narrator is a guy who gets interested in a lady. Almost every one of these books is about a dude who's creeping on a lady. But nice, great, what, cool. You know, what I, I think that also plays into the fact that the presumed you, the, the reader, is also a middle-aged white guy from Europe. Yeah. Um, Unless you're Lud- Ludmilla. Well, and Ludmilla is the other reader midway through the book. She becomes the you. Suck on that. Um, leaning from but, the steep slope. But I'm but I'm me. No, we, don't worry, Andrew. The book <laughs> will come back to you, so okay. says Calvino. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, Leaning from the Steep Slope is a narrator who gets invested in this woman who is an artist and likes to spend time at the local prison uh, like painting paintings of prisoners, I guess. To like, is that what she says she likes to do? I don't know. Uh, you're interested in her, so you're just going to kind of help her do whatever. She wants to uh, learn how to paint or sketch an anchor with four flukes, which if you imagine your typical anchor, it's Andrew, got two, right? It's got two, so it's four, which is like it's three-dimensional. Yeah, so it's got two, and then, then you'd rotate it and it's got another yeah it kind of looks like a grappling hook right yeah so the narrator goes probably like really big yeah because it's an anchor so the narrator goes to a bar and he overhears somebody being like hey i met up with this lady who's like really interested in prison breaks and uh you realize well maybe you don't realize the narrator doesn't realize but he does attempt to buy uh an anchor or, or a you know a four fluke anchor for this woman to sketch and the the one sailor is like, no, I don't sell to foreigners. And then your the guy's like mentor is like, hey, the cops are gonna come talk to you because you tried to buy that grappling hook that that lady wanted you to buy. And then the chapter ends. And uh-huh. You're like, huh? <laughs> I could have learned more about that story. Like 
my enjoyment of most of these stories that I did like, there were a few that I thought were just kind of meh. Um, or they just didn't grab me anyway, probably because I was focusing on other things. But the ones that did were like they hit the last beat and I I did want to keep reading that book. Um, or at least I could recognize that he had found a really clever cliffhanger. There's another one where a couple has uh, killed a guy named Jojo <laughs> and uh, they kind of weekend at Bernie's him for like a little bit because they need to find a way to dispose his body, but they can't find like a good place to do it. Okay. And then they decide to toss him off a roof and in the elevator down from doing so, some men show up and are like, hey, what's in that bag that you that clearly used to have a body in it? And they're like, nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the one guy's like, nah, I found a shoe. End of chapter. Move on. Yikes. Um, that one was pretty good. There, and there are, <laughs> there are a couple throughout. But the thing that is probably actually going to stick with me more from this book is the like overarching plot in as much as there is one where you the reader are trying to find out why these books are all messed up and also you have the hots for Ludmilla and she loves reading too and if you could just kind of like figure this out maybe you could get close to her um that would be cool for you yeah mm-hmm Sometimes it's like <laughs> you seem like you're just I'm a little, like looking for a foothold. Like, I really I am, actually. I really uh, there's little. Okay, I talked about the the one in the Craig's getting a take zone, which is a part of my notes here, just to help ground myself. Um, I made a note that like the macro thing is interesting. A book full of beginnings is certainly a pitch, and it is a cool idea for like wow i don't know what to do with a book i'm just it's like a concept album like i'm just gonna Mm -hmm. fill up what if i made an album full of singles instead of an album that actually was in conversation with itself Mm -hmm. right um but i think what i liked more about this book are like little moments or turns of phrase that stand out as meditations on reading. So like when you first meet Ludmilla and you kind of get invested in her as another reader of the stuff you like to read, um, this quote pops up. Your reading is no longer solitary. You think of the other reader who at this same moment is also opening the book and there the novel to be read is superimposed by a possible novel to be lived, the continuation of your story with her, or better still, the beginning of a possible story. And I feel like that's like not just about reading books, that's just about any time you share a piece of media or a story with another person and your experience of it gets like wrapped up in their experience of it. Okay. You know, we were just at a we were just at a, a gathering this weekend, and we were like talking to people about different shows we liked and different mm-hmm. movies we shared. And a lot of it is like, oh, I like it despite your opinion, or uh-huh. I want to hear your opinion on this thing. Um, so that when you go back to that work the next time, you might be thinking of that person. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. That's the kind of thing in this book that I was really struck by and didn't know would be in it. Uh, given how like I don't know how big the conceit feels. Sure, I'm. <laughs> I don't know how to like ping back at you for something because well, I because I haven't I like I haven't read it. It sounds like thing. it sounds like I need to have read it to like, be able to ask you more d- pointed questions about anything that happens in it. Because otherwise, okay, like you you've set up the second person thing. You've set up that I'm the reader of the book and. Italo Calvino's choosing an adventure for me that involves hitting on someone. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And then we could talk a little bit about what happens in in this or that story, but like, it just doesn't, I don't know. Okay. Well, let me tell you this, Andrew. Okay. So at this point, I'm probably not going to talk about any of the individual chapters that are, that are like the fake 
not fake books, but the in fiction books. Well, hmm, they are fake books. So we just we listened to, we, when we were driving home from this party. Uh, there was a Spotify playlist that was on in the car that included the song "Live and Let Die" on it, and it made me think about how Paul McCartney, like so many of his songs in that phase of his career, were just like the first minute of seven songs yeah. that were rammed into Hell each yeah. other. And I feel like this book. I don't know if it's ever been said of. Uh, of uh, of if on a winter's night of traveler, but this is the mid career Paul McCartney song of books. It I sounds think, like I know, and I, and I think you've stumbled into an amazing take. Um, <laughs> because okay, uh, I'm going to try to speed through some things, and I'm going to try to come back to the fact that you found an amazing take. Okay, you, the reader, yes, are me. struck by this whole scenario. Um, some of the books, again, they are misprinted. Some of them are mistranslated. Um, some of them are attributed to the incorrect author. You go to the publisher of at least one or two of these books, who I think is the guy who's a bit of a stand-in for Calvino, this guy named Cavadagna. And he is just excited to talk to somebody who identifies as a reader. He talks to writers all day, and writers can't... In the world of this book, there's a lot of bemoaning of being a writer... And like losing touch with the pure act of reading, like you have, okay. you've become too aware of how books get made, and now you can't just like read a book. And honestly, that is the experience of reading this book. Yeah, and also the experience of like having any sort of project where yeah. you're engaged in criticism of an art form uh-huh. is like eventually, like seeing the seams becomes distracting and yeah. you end up just like thinking and talking about the seams and maybe you're not you don't have your mind right on the the work the that actual is thing in front yeah. Of you, yeah and and that's i think like this book is about that like ludmilla purportedly is able to read a book and prefers to read a book without knowing anything about the author just wants to be in the present tense of the act of reading. And then there are all these other characters that are like, that's absurd. You can't do that. Um, so the publisher gives us a paper trail to this guy named Hermes Marana, mm-hmm. who is, I think, spearheading a worldwide conspiracy to just mess with books. All he does is he swaps titles he swaps contents he swaps translations he puts the wrong chapters in other books no one can keep track of what he's doing and he's ultimately like ruining the publishing industry by screwing up all of these books when they get printed okay and he says what does the name of an what when when the publisher is like why are you doing this you're ruining our business and this is his defense he says what does the name of an author on the jacket matter let us move forward in thought to 3000 years from now who knows which books from our period will be saved and who knows which authors names will be remembered some books will remain famous but will be considered anonymous works as for us the epic of gilgamesh other authors' names will still be well-known, but none of their works will survive, as was the case with Socrates. Or perhaps all the surviving books will be attributed to a single mysterious author like Homer. And the publisher's like, I hate this guy, but I think he has a point. <laughs> and so this guy is the closest to the to what the book has as like an antagonist, mm-hmm. where this Marana guy is connected to people all over the world who are participating in this deliberate uh, discombobulation of, of books. Fiction. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the only parts of the book that can get themselves together to tell one story that spans the length of the book. That, yes. that would be, you would be looking for your antagonists and your other, you know, the other par- book parts in yes. this part. You, um... You, the reader, are trying to track this guy down. He does wind up having connections to Yuri Ludmilla, um, but he is also part of this international like cabal to destroy the idea of truth through <laughs> okay. disrupting the written word. Rupert Murdoch over here. Oh no, hey, getting political. Um, and like so, two passages that do stand out in this book. There's a section where Marana. Um, you're reading his letters to the publisher. And so it's like 
his own justification for what he's doing. He tells this probably cockamamie story that feels very 1001 Nights where he was working for a sultan and the sultan was in a marriage contract where if his wife didn't have new books to read, he had to divorce her and it would have been like a whole deal. Uh, So Marana just starts messing with the books so that they never end, which was kind of fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you also get introduced to this character, Silas Flannery, who is this world-renowned detective author, whom you get at least one, if not two, chapters that are supposed to be written by him. And he, we get chapters from his diary, so you get the frame narrative perspective from another character as opposed to this weird like second-person thing, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked his chapters... A lot because he is like it really cracks open that this book is about like how do you write a book that people like what do you how do you write a book that people want to read they Mm want to start a story then what do they want i don't know i'm an author and i don't know what they want like this guy (laughs) flannery is like paralyzed by the fact that he doesn't know what the platonic ideal of a reader wants sure and so at one point, he actually even voices the conceit of the entire novel where he says, I would like to be able to write a book that is only an insipid, that maintains for its whole duration the potentiality of the beginning, the expectation still not focused on an object. He just wants to write a book that is full of all the stuff you like about the beginning of books. Yeah. Um, he also comes up with an idea for a book where two different authors are competing for one reader's affection, and he comes up with like seven or eight different endings, but he never picks one. Get it? I feel like the... But doesn't the like the fact that other books in the world exist just mean that that is what trying to market and sell your book is? Like, I feel like you're inventing a thing that already exists when, you, when you're trying to look for that one. I think at one point, Marana uh, comes to him and is like, hey... Why don't I enlist you? I've already enlisted this Japanese publishing house in printing fabricated versions of your novels. Why don't you help me write these other fabricated novels? And Flannery is like, wow, I don't have to worry about writing the one perfect book that I want to write. I can just contribute to the body of fiction that is the world. Sure. And that like frees him from his writer's block. Um and then the last third of the meta narrative is you, the reader, are tracking this Marana guy to South America, and you get caught up in multiple governments that are engaging in censorship um, and banning books and trading the banned books back and forth so that they can ban them more. And it's all about like misinformation and counter counter insurgency. Nothing, you know, stuff you might be thinking about if you lived in a country that was overtaken by fascism. Yeah. Um, but the, the, you said maybe a little while ago that like what is real in this book mm-hmm. and that there's a whole few chapters where like you, the reader, are just like, what is real? Are these cops or are they taxi cab drivers? I don't know. You tell me. Uh, and then the book comes to an end. You've escaped the 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 government's warring and censoring things. You make your way to the library. It's unclear what library. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's not important. And you start looking up all the books that you tried to read. And you meet these eight people in a library uh, who like have different opinions on what it is to read a book. Um, and some of them just want to reread books so that they can experience it anew. And some of them really want to get into like the history of a book. Um, and through them, you piece together This is, I guess, the biggest thing, a spoiler that I could give in this book, Andrew. Okay, sure. You piece together all of the titles of the books that you're looking for Mm -hmm. um, because you want to read them and they're 
in the library listings, but most of them are unavailable. And you talk to these guys, and the one guy's like, oh, this reminds me of this story from the Thousand One Nights where this guy at the end says he asks anxious to hear the story. And you write that down in your list. And then here is all of the titles in the book in order. If on a winter's night a traveler outside the town of Malbork, leaning from the steep slope without fear of wind or vertigo, looks down in the gathering shadow in a network of lines that enlace in a network of lines that intersect on the carpet of leaves illuminated by the moon around an empty grave, what story down there awaits its end, he asks, anxious to hear the story. Huh. I have to say... (laughs) <laughs> I struggled with this book because I I thought it was an going to be an easier read than it was, and I still had trouble with some of the book within a book passages. And when I got to this part where rev- where the entire novel clicked into place as a series of sentence fragments that formed like a cool opening to a story, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh dang, <laughs> he got me! He got me!" No, that's cool. I mean, it feels like an awful long walk of a short pier to just do that, but <laughs> sure. I mean, it's it's cool. I can I can admit that it's cool. Yeah, it is cool. I think the stuff that is maybe more not more powerful, but stands out. Like I, I gave us one or two quotes already, but like there's stuff where he plays with the second person that is kind of neat. Where he says, like, uh, when you go to the university for the first time, he says, Reader, we are not sufficiently acquainted for me to know whether you move with indifferent assurance in a university or whether old traumas or pondered choices make a universe of pupils and teachers seem a nightmare to your sensitive and sensible soul. <laughs> like, the fact that he is playing with who you are as a person is kind of fun. And similarly, when he shifts the second person to Ludmilla because the reader is going through her house, like trying to learn about her, and he's telling you all the things that he does and does not know about you. Like, all that stuff is really kind of interesting. And I think is actually, if you're looking for a 20th century, like a late 20th century book that is interested in postmodern it is doing postmodern stuff. I think the second person stuff in this book is more compelling than the like, hey, I wrote a book with a bunch of beginnings in it. Yeah, sure. That's I don't know. I can't the the second half of the novel, the beginning started to wear a little thin for me and I really I don't know, it's a tension I had with the book where I was like I wanted I at that point I was invested enough in myself mm-hmm. the reader mm-hmm. that i wanted to know what was going to happen to me and i didn't want any more interruptions yeah um so <laughs> yeah i guess that that was that was something else that i was trying to like as the second person part of the story does it, it becomes clearer that it is the main part of the story yeah i do feel like especially like if the if the first chapter thing if the if those chapters were longer than a you know a couple of pages i would start to get more annoyed with it because it's like all right this book is doing one thing that I, that my brain can literally grab onto and you keep interrupting yourself <laughs> with this thing that i know that i you know i don't need to care about to get the like the point i don't know Every yeah. reading every book or watching every TV show is just a race to get to the point. And then as soon as you understand <laughs> what it's trying to say, you can put it down and you don't have to. <laughs> uh, and, and what's kind of fascinating I'm about being this, facetious. No, but, no. But or I'm am I? You, or am I? Um, what's interesting about it is that like it's it's very interested in um what is real and what is artifice and like some of that i don't know we've talked about this on recent episodes i think for whatever reason what books i'm i are escaping me but like some of it can feel a little not trite but like we've had this this may have struck people more when the book was released than me reading other stuff that's probably been influenced 
by this since. Um, just in terms of like, I don't know, reading books where they're like, what is the nature of reading? Like, I don't mm-hmm. who knows what that is. Um, but I think the the personal, a lot of the like little minute depictions of how people relate to a book and to a story are cool. Uh, as we close out, I'll just shout out Andrew. Ludmilla's sister, Lataria, visits Silas Flannery at one point. Okay. And is like, hey, here's how I like to read books. And she tells him about a computer where she puts the entire text of the book into the computer. And then she only looks at all the words that come up a bunch and like comes up with a bunch of theories about what the book is about just based on that. Okay. <laughs> and Lataria is like depicted as the as the she's not a like tweed jacket academic. But she is someone who is interested in like, what are the themes? What are the sociopolitical like theses of this book? Contrast that with Ludmilla, who is like, I just want to read a book. And like, I, I think at one point Ludmilla says, my ideal of my relationship to an author is that they are a pumpkin vine and then I come along and pick their pumpkin. Like she doesn't, <laughs> she never wants to meet an author because it changes her experience of the work. Sure. And we're a podcast that is actually pretty interested in authors. I know that other. We're just in authors, but we don't like meet a lot of them. No, we don't, that's like, true. A lot of the books that we read on the show are not just by just like people that we know. That's very true, but I, I do think that there is a way to discuss books that by the nature of how we approach our show, getting a little meta now in this meta book. Look at um, you. Look you, Mr. Smart Guy. If we were, <laughs> if we were both reading every book, we could more easily have like character-focused discussions, right? I find, and I, I'm not saying this is one, this is like one is better than the other. We tend to skew towards a like, we like to talk about what the author might have been doing or whatever because, like, we don't know that much about the book going into it. And we can research the author and research what they might have been doing. And we can bring that to the discussion and it's kind of fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there is a, like, a great books discussion version where we never reference that the author is just completely dead or in a box <laughs> and isn't allowed to talk about their book at all. Mm-hmm. And Calvino is in this weird spot where he's like, listen, man, I'm part of the book. You got to saddle up. Like, I'm in here with you. Uh, And the book does end with you, the reader, reading the book. (laughs) Right. It ends as it began, I suppose. It ends with you and the other reader reading the book in bed. It's very charming. Um, Ooh. Gets a little spicy there at the end. This book has a decent amount of sex in it. I have really undersold that amount. (laughs) Decent, you say? Yeah, there's one of the. I'm not going to ask any follow up questions about how you're how you've (laughs) arrived at decent. Don't out of all the other possible words you could have used. There's a lot of other words I could have used, but there is a decent amount of sex in this book. Well, that's good to hear. Um, it's a book that I read. And it kind of broke me a little bit. Sure. You you get those sometimes. I volunteered for this one, to be yeah. honest. And and I'm I'm happy I read it. Like it's I'm happy I came out of it going like, huh, the macro stuff is cool, but there's a lot of little stuff in it that I'll be thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you had pitched me on this book, I would not have expected that. Sure. Um I also probably missed a lot. There's probably a lot of stuff I didn't get. Just yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but particularly, I, I guess the, the there's probably a whole other angle on this book, Andrew, that we would probably find really fascinating. That is the like socio political kind of 1984 esque uh, Ministry of Truth government using government relations like state media censorship stuff okay that is like a part of the back half of this book that is probably a lot of what calvino has written in other texts and is just was not 
I was not prepped going into this one to like decode all of those references. Okay. So I don't know. What's a book? What's a story you like the beginning of a lot, Andrew? I like to just kind of ask you a random question that story I was I like thinking. Like, what beginning beginnings of, of things do you like? Because I was struck by my reading in this book that more than half of the fake books, I was like, I would read more of that. I found myself at the end of each of those chapters being like, dang, I am mad that Calvino took it away. What are some beginnings of stories or movies I can tell or books you, that you like? I get... And and maybe this is a the thing more than more with like TV than with sure. books, but I, books do it too. Sometimes it's like I I am increasingly frustrated by stories that begin in the middle of some action packed sequence, but mm. then immediately flash back to the beginning of of the story. Like why don't we just start at the beginning of the story? <laughs> Sure. So I find that frustrating. Like, I, I don't know if I can as quickly identify a story beginning that I really am in love with, but mm. I can tell you what I don't like. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I, I really like a, well, so I read Convenience Store Woman yeah. um, a few weeks ago, and I, I really, I like a book that draws a character really like confidently and interestingly and it's in its like first oh sure like i i am i really uh, you you know when you are reading most books you're you're spending most of your time with whoever the main character is and it is important to establish them up front as like somebody who you want to spend time with or are interested in in hearing more from so that's what i'm saying is you know characters welcome (laughs) That's what I like. I will close with just something that I could have read more of what this book first purported to be if on a winter's night by Italo Calvino mm-hmm. because it did a cool stylistic thing that I would probably read more of a book that did this. Okay, It is aware that it is a book and it sort of sounds like it's summarizing the book you're reading. Okay. The novel begins in a railway station. A locomotive huffs. Steam from a piston covers the opening of the chapter. A cloud of smoke hides part of the first paragraph. Uh, Stations are all alike. It doesn't matter if the lights cannot illuminate beyond their blurred halo. All of this is a setting you know by heart. With the odor of train that lingers even after all the trains have left. The special odor of stations after the last train has left. The lights of the station and the sentences you are reading seem to have the job of dissolving more than of indicating the things that surface from a veil of darkness and fog. I just really dug the way that Calvino was like, hey, you're... And this was in that first chapter. None of the other fake books do this. It's aware that it's in a novel and the 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 voice is like telling you a story about a story. Mm-hmm. I dug that. I would read way more of that, and I was kind of bummed. Like, Maybe you should just read a like a Calvino book where it's just one book. <laughs> Maybe that. do those exist? Yeah, I mean, I assume he wrote a bunch of other ones. This one mm. was pretty late career. Like, you've got to assume early career, at least structurally, he would be doing more conventional stuff. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll go do that. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for um, listening to me kind of lose my mind a little bit with this one. Oh, I, that's that's what I'm here to do. <laughs> I tried. I it, sometimes I feel like I'm a good like conversationalist about this sort of stuff, and sometimes I'm like, I don't know, man. I've got even less information than you do, and I'm not I'm not going to be able to help. I think if people are like, if this book is on your radar, it's because of the structure stuff. It's because of the meta stuff. And it's because it's a book about books. And sometimes people love a book about books. Just like yeah. they like to watch a movie about making movies. Yeah. So if you like a book about books, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Let us know what those books are. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at OverduePod. Thanks to Devin, Benita, Jess, Bella, Joe, Adam, Emily, MKV, Holly, Kate, and many more for reaching out in the past week. Thank you, Nick Larandis, for the use of our theme song. 
Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We have links you can use to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, among others. Uh, we have a link to our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash overduepod. You can support us financially, get bonus episodes. Uh, we're going to be doing a bonus recording later this month for our uh, annual Happy Horny Days celebration. We're going to be reading Coming for Christmas by Christina Allen. I think it'll be a fun time. Uh, next week, I'm going to be reading Jennifer Government by Max Berry. If you want to read any of these books along with us, we have links to uh, bookshop.org on our homepage. You can click those links and get the books. Uh, we get a small cut of that. Your local independent bookstore gets your support. And yeah, everybody wins. I think that's it, right? Yeah. You said what book you're reading next week? Yeah, I did. Jennifer Government. Great. Can't wait to hear about it. Jennifer Government. Jennifer Government. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Until we hit you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.